Episode 35 of the Paul George Show welcomes Chris Faddis. We talk about community when we come together to pray or we go to a, a worship night or, or we go to Mass or whatever it is. But where's the practicality there? You know, uh, maybe there's, it's there in a Bible study. Maybe it's there in pastoral care ministry in your parish, those things. Those are the practical outlays of what that really means. And that's what I love about solidarity. It's giving people a tangible way to live out this, this understanding of, of being in communion with one another. The Paul George Show! Welcome to the Paul George Show. This week, Chris Faddis from Solidarity Health Sharing, making Catholic community a reality, the problem with buying dirty brand new clothes, and that time that Paul called a Cardinal Archbishop broke. And now, from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, the compassionate Paul George. Welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today in studio with the world and only. See, I was going to say the uh, one and only and the world famous. So I said world and only. Which is brilliant. That's a that's a new saying. World and only you Adam Conk. It. You coined it. Thanks, I did. man. There is only one Adam Conk in the world, by the way. So, hello. In the whole world. Pretty sure. See, there's not one Paul George. There's multiple. No. Multiple famous Paul Georges. Yes, I'm not one of those. But there is an NBA basketball player, Paul George. Which right. I was born first and have the name first. When when you were a boy, you were boy George. And when I was a boy, Boy George was actually famous, the singer. Which made your middle school years very problematic. I and think. my middle school years were constantly being called <laughs> Boy George, who was not the best role model out there uh, in the world. So, yeah, right. I got called Boy George all the time. Well, I won't call you that if you don't want me to. I don't really care. Okay, Boy George. <laughs> Yeah, like my feelings aren't hurt, man. Like, <laughs> like I beat up enough kids on the pra- playground to get it out of my system. Don't beat me up, dude. I, so I'm, I'm over it. I won't, right. I won't beat you up. So anyway, great show today. We're gonna have a fascinating conversation with our guest who's coming on, Chris Faddis today. Um, so I'm excited about that. But uh, Adam, have you seen this? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real, though? Yeah, dude, I am really for real about this, and I'm kind of perturbed a little bit and almost giggling about Uh-oh. this. So, Uh-oh. so, so it's like a both and. You have a lot of emotions. I can tell you just. I, I have yep. a bunch of emotions right here. So there's a brand at uh, Nordstrom's, which is a big uh, clothing line and store. I'll take your word for it. Okay, on that one that is selling. Dirty clothes. Have you seen this? No. Okay, so they're literally making jeans and shirts that uh, look like they have mud and oil on them. Oh. Like it's actually a cool thing. Okay, so the brand that makes $425 muddy jeans. The jeans cost $425? Yes. What? Yeah, so they custom muddy the jeans and, you know, put you know, stuff on them. And they have like a jean jacket. Uh, you're seeing this. Uh, That's ridiculous. And then, you that know. it looks like blood. Yeah, they have paint stains on them, some of them. Like, like they've been painting. Um, like they've been working in the yard or doing construction. But this is like, they look like they haven't washed their clothes in forever. Wow. See, I didn't think the grunge 
thing would come back. It's, I don't know if it's grunge. It's just dirty. They're, okay, so here's a couple of problems. One, I think it's funny that they're attempting to just try to create something more to attract people to buy their clothes. Yeah. But here, here's a couple of things that I find really wrong with this. <laughs> First of all, they're super expensive. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so... I'll muddy your jeans for half that. Right, but... But here's the real problem I have with it. I think it's a real punch in the face to people who actually work and get dirty every day. Yeah. And like literally, uh, you know, are, are dirty from their work, which is good. Their work is good. And they're, they're dirty and they're, they're, you know, they're probably wearing cheaper clothes and $425 jeans. And yet mm-hmm. there's stores willing to kind of imitate that. Uh, so somebody who can afford $425 jeans can look like they've been working construction or painting or something. I don't know. Am I wrong for having a problem with this? I don't know, man, because if I was, I, I mean, I have some dad jeans that are like my work jeans that do have the paint stains and everything else, and I feel like my stock just went up. Like yeah. those jeans in my closet that I paid about $5 for right, 20 years ago or whatever, Yeah, like they're now up man so i might try to sell these things yeah you can do a garage sale and sell them for like a hundred bucks wow and that's a steal that's like 25 percent of what they're charging at, at the store I know. no i mean i think i think what what i have a problem with is is the lack of masculinity in all this because now you can appear to be a man right who works hard and yep. gets dirty without actually doing it so in one sense, we're acknowledging we do like men that work hard. Right. But in the second sense, it's much better to just appear like you're working hard than actually go work. Yeah. So here's the deal. And the point that I want to get at is that uh, work is good mm-hmm. and, and labor and hard work is good. It, it has meaning. It has purpose. This is really the problem I'm having with it in the conversation is yeah. when someone goes out and work like like um, I, I don't have a labor job in a sense of um, I don't do construction um, or, you know, or things like that, which I would love. And, and I think has super great value, but I love when I work in the yard and I do things around the house and I do a lot of my own things around the house to save money or we can't afford things, you know, whether it be painting or electrical work or yard work or, and I, I love when I'm dirty. Mm. I gotta be honest with you. Like when I'm dirty and filthy, I love it, but I would never wear those clothes to church or to a meeting <laughs> or out to eat right because the those clothes symbolize like hard work but yet they're meant for something they're not to be made fun of Mm -hmm. you know and all the people that i know that do hard work uh labor uh you know they're proud of that work and they should be yeah it tells a story tells i mean when you look at the jeans and you see the red stain the white stain the mud stain you remember everything you did yes every project you worked on which was a labor of love for your family that went into those jeans yeah so i guess what i'm getting at is i feel like this line of clothes is devaluing Mm -hmm. work yeah and devaluing uh masculinity and even the 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 line of clothes for women, like, and even the ability for, for women to work. I, I don't know. I've just had, it, it, I'm wrestling with it. Yeah. And you and seem I, really perplexed by this. Yeah. So, so I have an issue. With <laughs> no, I think you're right. But you know, what's the solution, right? I, I think this is a fad that'll come and go, but what's going to remain is this devaluing of work, which is beyond fads. Like our, our society, we encourage young people to work, so it helps them get a career and they train or whatever, but like work for its own sake, work for your family to, you know, like 
work doesn't really have a value in itself in our society, which this fad testifies to, but it's going to come and go, but something's going to replace it. Yeah, it'll come and go. But but really one of the points I want to make is, is this value of working hard, mm-hmm. this value of work, but work has meaning. So work isn't just about making money, right? Um, which w- we look at in society is I work, I get money, and then I get to get what I want and do what I want with it. Um, certainly that's a result of work, you know, and certainly we need money to pay our bills and support our families or, you know, even have leisure. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a deeper meaning for work than money that goes much greater. And it's a connection, uh, into what God created, you know, God created us, um, to, to, to labor in a sense of, if, even if you read in Genesis past the fall, like, like we were moved in this idea of labor, but labor uh, labor has meaning. L- labor gives glory to God. Like when we use our gifts and our talents, um, whether we sit in a cubicle or at a computer, uh, or or we are, you know, we drive a boat and or we work in construction or we're a painter, it has meaning. Mm-hmm. And and the meaning of our work is to give God glory and to be in relationship through our work with God. All right, so I have an idea for a T-shirt now. Yeah. Paul George Show T-shirt yeah. with the slogan, work it. Work it. Work it. That can mean, <laughs> that can mean a lot of things. Or maybe some Paul George jeans yeah. that are clean. Clean. But you have to go dirty. I'm all about wearing work it. clean things <laughs> uh, to appropriate things and then put on your work clothes. Like I have work jeans. Yeah. I will put on. They got holes in them. Yeah. yeah but I on. earned that's right. I earned those paint, uh, <laughs> s- you know, stripes on those jeans, man. Uh huh. You know what I'm saying? And it like, actually costs more than four hundred dollars because all those projects collectively cost way more than that. Yeah, the labor so that I cheap. put in those jeans. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul George work jeans, work it. So here's what here's my idea. <laughs> I'm gonna work in jeans and I'm gonna dirty them, mm-hmm. like through work, mm-hmm. like not fake in a factory dirty them. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna dirty them by working in them, and then I'm gonna sell them to this clothing line stores, and this is how I'm gonna afford to to keep the show on air. Dang, and do it for half that. The only thing is, it'd be one size, <laughs> which no one fits in. Other <laughs> than no you, one fits in, <laughs> other than me. Tall, thirty four, thirty six, thirty four, thirty six. Is mm-hmm. that really your jeans size? Yeah, yeah. I thought you'd be like a forty eight long or something. I mean, you're tall. Yeah, but like, no, thirty six length. That's awesome. I think I'm 32 or yeah. 34. Wow. I feel so on, on the same level as you now. Yeah, but you're like 34, 34. See, the dimensions change. <laughs> your waist is the same size as your length. Touche. Touche. Anyway, <laughs> man, we have a great show today. Really excited about our guests and um, the topics we have today. I want to encourage you uh, to... Um, to share the show. A lot of times people are asking, you know, what can I do? What can I do? Share the show when it's uploaded on podcast. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. 
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you today. As expected, excited about our guest today, Chris Faddis, Phoenix, Arizona. You can find him on Twitter at Faddicus, F-A-D-D-I-C-U-S, and at Solidarity HealthShare. Um, so, Chris, you you work for Solidarity HealthShare. You you kind of got your hands as a sort of a Catholic entrepreneur per se uh, in a lot of things, but. But interestingly enough, Solidarity HealthShare has really, really kind of taken off. Um, to update us on where you guys are and what you're doing with Solidarity. Yeah, it's, it's blown up. We've uh, we've we launched publicly last fall. Uh, we've grown rapidly, and we're you know we're just finding families all over America who want this kind of of uh, healthcare where we we make our own decisions. We're you know we're we're sharing with people that are in the pews with us. I mean, I love when I go to Mass in, in Tempe. And I see, you know, there's 10 or 10 or 12 families sitting there that I know we're sharing in our medical needs together. It's a really powerful thing. Um, so it's growing. We're, we're excited about it. That honestly um, has brought such a fulfillment to my life as we, you know, do all the practical things to take care of, uh, you know, what our members need and, and you know, give them good guidance and, and help them find good solutions for their healthcare issues and then also, you know, issue these payments from the members to help pay for their needs. It's it's a... Uh, it, I got to tell you, Paul. You know, hey, Paul and I. You know, we we started out in ministry together. I mean, in, in some of our early days in ministry, both of us. Um, you you a little older than me, so I guess you were more of a junior leader in ministry, and I was more of like a freshman. But uh, you know, it, this is it, probably some of the most fulfilling uh, time in my life right now. It's what we're doing with Solidarity Healthshare. Yeah, it's interesting because you know one of the sayings is you know we find our vocation when. Our greatest passion meets the world's greatest need, and mm. I, I couldn't think of anyone else uh, in regards to say you, uh, your passion to help people, to serve people, um, that they could get the the healthcare they want, the needs that they want, and particularly your story, uh, as we shared in a, in a prior show with your wife Angela getting cancer and then eventually passing away. You went through the gamut of healthcare cost and dealing with all these all these situations and and what came out of that in the back end of things is uh launching and you know with friends and this community solidarity health share which actually works tell me about the struggle that led up to this point yeah you know it, it was uh it was one of those things where you and most people find themselves when you find yourself in a cancer diagnosis you know you might say a lot of things beforehand and then when the time comes you basically do whatever they tell you you know and uh, you, and especially when it comes to paying for it, you say, "Well, whatever the insurance is going to pay for, it, that's what I'm going to do," because I can't, I can't go find these really, you know, awesome treatments that aren't covered by insurance or whatever. And, and we went through that. We we went through the the traditional route of treatment, uh, and it it, you know, beat Angela up uh, in in a lot of ways. It it really, um, her quality of life just dissipated really fast and. Uh, was really hard on her, and then after you know a few rounds of treatment, there was no success. In fact, the tumors were growing, and so we we knew her cancer was really advanced. It was stage four. We knew we had to to do some other things. So we went, saw some other doctors. We looked at some other options available, and things that were really working for other people. And we thought, well, this is what we want to do for her. And we didn't have the money. It was, you know wasn't something insurance would share and would cover. And uh, so we went online, and I think you you and I were were talking around this time, I remember Paul and I, I, you know, I just remember going out and saying, you know what, Lord, if you, if you want this to happen for her, by the end of the first week of us going online asking for support, we'll have $10,000. And, 
and it, it was, what's amazing is, you know, you, I probably shouldn't challenge God like that. <laughs> but what was amazing is the next night, the very next night after we launched this campaign, we had $10,000 raised. Yeah, I'm not sure and if it was, a, of, it was a challenge thing. as much as it was just a, a prayer of desperation. You know, like, God, we need it you. Was, it was. Right? It was like, you've got to show me that this is, because we were going to move our family across the country, back to Arizona, everything, you know, and the Lord just provided. He provided a house through a a family in our community provided a house for us to stay in when we went through treatment, provided, you know, the funds we needed to get back across the country and shut down our lives in North Carolina. You know, my boss at the time let me move to Arizona and keep working. Uh, you know, lots of things that God provided. But amazingly, the community of, of people around us raised, just online, $35,000. And in addition to that, over the course of her treatment, probably about $120,000 was raised is, some, is kind of what we added up in the end, uh, to, to care for Angela. And th- those treatments kept her alive for another year. They, they bounced her back. The tumor started to shrink. She started to have more energy, you know? And so what we saw was, wow, look at what the community is. Look at what our, our faith community did. This is what I want from healthcare. I don't want some person in the back room somewhere making a decision that they were told by some person in a boardroom that I don't even know. Right. I don't want that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, yeah. And we looked at that, you know, what is that way? Right. Yeah, and you know, interesting. Like in your story, and people can go back and listen to um, a podcast uh, that you were on. You kind of shared the testimony more, but you know, in the story, you know, the healthcare that y'all were able to get through the donations of community extended Angela's life, which gave you more time with her and your kids, y'all's kids, more time with her as mom and her more time with y'all. And so you look back on the times that we would have had less time with her, uh, and and yet we right. were able to to in a sense, gain time, you know, which, which you'll have for the rest of your life. Cause time is, I, I think time, uh, is worth more than anything else, any value that we have in anything else. And you guys were able to get that time. Amen. Amen. And that's the beauty of, of healthcare sharing. Now what we, what we've come to is when I would, I would talk to my friends and say, I wish I could create a way to do this. And as I started to look at healthcare sharing, I went, wait a minute, this is the way to do it. It's not a fundraiser. We're making a commitment every month. And, you know, if, if Paul, if you find yourself in the same situation, you say, Chris, I want to try some other things. Now we can help you do that. We're not limited by the rules of insurance and everything going on. So you want to go get these advanced treatments that are evidence-based, that are, that are working all over the world, but we haven't approved them in, in our you know, pharmacological system here. We'll help you investigate that, and we'll help you make those decisions, and we will share in that. Right. Our members will share in those needs. How how incredible is that that you don't then have to go launch a fundraising campaign every time you have this major medical issue and you want to go get some really aggressive care? You know, uh, that's the beauty of it. And I and I love you know we were just uh, at a, one of the the places where I took Angela for care last week with our medical team reviewing their treatments and what they do and, and our science our scientific board looking at making sure these are ethical treatments. And already this week, they're referring three members of, of the health chair over to this, this center to say, hey, let's look and see if we can get you some better care. So it's an amazing thing to know that our community is now able to do that in a, in a functional way, a sustainable way. Uh, it, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So. Yeah, well, one of the things that you mentioned uh, that I want to get to is you keep mentioning this word community, and I think it's a buzzword for, for many Christians and um, we don't really know what that means, but, uh, in, in a lot of ways, when, when you talk about what you're doing, uh, the word community means a lot, but, but let's take this out of healthcare. 
And for a minute, just explain to me how important community is with helping people and loving people. Yeah. You know what I, and I, for me, it just always goes back to the idea of communion. So communion in the sense of us receiving the Eucharist, receiving communion, communion in the sense of us being in our own parish with our, with our neighbors and friends and families, uh, in, in, in that communion when we're receiving and going up to the altar. Uh, but, but also the, the fact that there's this other reality around us that we don't even half the time pay attention to that while we're there in that communion, the communion of saints is with us, that we are a part, we are the pilgrims in the communion of saints, we're on our way, right? And that we are a part of that, that the, those who have gone before us, those that are in heaven, those that are crowned with glory, they are with us in that communion. And when I think of community, I, I think, yes, you're right, because you can, you can get all different ways. I think of the idea that I stand in 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 true solidarity with my brothers and sisters and caring about their needs and thinking about them and praying for them and supporting them. You know, I got a call from, from people I barely know saying, hey, we heard you you guys had a baby. Can we bring you a meal? That's community. That's, that's true, authentic communion that these people who we just simply go to church with don't really know other than saying hello. They want to they take the time out of my home. That's such a gift. So for me, that community is kind of... You know, you're right, it's this broad thing, but if we boil it down to that idea of what is the communion of saints? It's the pilgrims, those of us on earth trying to make our way. It's those that are not yet purified, those that are, that are going through purification and purgatory, and those that have, have, are in heaven who have achieved that highest goal of our lives. If we look at that and say, okay, everyone that I'm around, you know, there might be people in my community who aren't Catholic, aren't Christian, maybe don't believe in God, they're just my neighbors. But my kindness, my generosity, my hospitality is I have to give that to them. I have to share that with them. There might be people in my community that are that are my people that I go to Mass with and, and I pray with. And maybe I don't know them, but when I'm at Mass, am I praying for them? Am I thinking of those people as well and what their needs are? When I see a woman crying at communion, am I praying for her deepest hurts and desires that are going on? That To me, that's, maybe I made it bigger, Paul, but <laughs> that's to me what where you boil it down into what is the communion of saints? And then, you know, how do I live that out in my day-to-day life? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we read in Scripture, the book of Acts, it says they held all things in common. It didn't say they held some things in common. It says they held all things in right? common, which included, you know, their their money, their, their, their you know, jobs, uh, even their health and their health care and their welfare. And, uh, like, they really lived in community. And certainly times have changed, and we live in different culture now. But it doesn't mean that we're supposed to, um, you know, exit out of this idea of community and living in community and caring about our brothers and sisters around the around us. And this is what I love about uh, what you guys are doing with solidarity is that, in, in a way, it's it's bringing people together to love, pray, and care for each other's needs. And that's what I love about solidarity is it's giving people a tangible way to live out this this understanding of, of being in communion with one another. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's great. And uh, so I'm talking to Chris Faddis at Solidarity HS on Twitter, at Faticus. Um, all right, bro, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. I got some really cool questions to ask you about a lot awesome. of things. Awesome, love it. All right, we'll be right back. Thanks, Paul. This is Paul George here.
Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Great to be with you interviewing Chris Fattis, Phoenix, Arizona. Chris, is it is it hot out there yet? It's it's almost June. You know, it's it's kind of it keeps teasing us. It got up to 106 a couple weeks ago, and then it got down to 70, and and uh, then back up to 90, and then down in the 70s yesterday and today. But it, it's coming. It's coming. Did you say so. 106? <laughs> yeah, it was 106 about I think two weeks ago, uh, Fridays <laughs> ago. So, but then it was you know that Sunday it was like just beautiful. We sat outside all day long. It was like 69 or 70. So, you know we're we're getting those. I call them glory days in May when you get when you get those really nice reprieves, you know, because you know it's one of your, it might be your last. Seriously, so. okay. So you were born and raised in Arizona, and you moved away for a little while, yeah. but you've been there most of your life. What's the what's the hottest you ever experienced? I've been here for every record heat day, so I think the hottest was one twenty two, maybe. I'm trying to remember the days, but yeah, I've, I've been. I mean, I was when I was in in uh, I think it was fifth grade. I was walking to the public pool on the day that it was at the time the record, which I think was 120. And, uh, you know, that like, you actually let your kids outside. Nowadays, they like, you, you'd probably get reported to CPS if you let your kid go outside at 120 degrees. But that, I was like, you know, sweating my way to the pool and sweating my way home, so. Dude, what what better day to go to the pool than when it's 120 right. degrees? All right, so anyway. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, so you have a fascinating testimony and story. Um, but one of the questions I really want to ask you and get to today really just applies to life. And I, I think you bring a lot of lessons into the adversity you've dealt with in your own life. Um, your wife, Angela, passed away. But even before that, you've de- dealt with ups and downs, just as we all have in many ways, different shapes and sizes. Our lives all look different, but we hold one thing in common, right, Chris, is that we've all experience ups and downs and difficulties. And one of the questions I have for you is what's your advice to someone who's listening, who's going through a divorce or experienced the death or a loss of a job or, you know, a breakup or, you know, they've just experienced in a valley right now. What's your advice to them for moving forward in life? Yeah, you know it, that's a that's such a a, a big question. <laughs> I would say, and more from a spiritual sense first, and, and we can go practical. But is um, as you were asking the question, I, I was trying to think of how to word this, and I just got this thought: is lock your eyes with Jesus. Hmm. You know, you think about Saint Peter when when uh, whenever you know you, you hear Saint Peter kind of panicking. There's several things that where Peter panics in Scripture, right? And, and and what is it? What were his doubt, his his fear when they when the boat was rocking in the in, in the storm, uh, and Jesus called him the storm. His his falling when he was out walking on the water. What happened when Peter fell? Uh, you know, he, he's out walking on the water with Jesus. Like that's got to be the height of of spiritual oneness with God, right? Right. And he falls. And I think I when I read that, and at least I, if I put this through my own lens, it's because I, he took his eyes off of Jesus. He started doubting. He started thinking, wait a minute, I'm not God. I'm not, I'm just a man. I don't have what it takes or whatever it was. And I think when we go through those difficult times, I, I think one of the hardest things for me to do, and, I, and probably I would imagine most people, is locking eyes with Jesus and just don't, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You know, the, the world is falling apart in your life. Lock eyes with Jesus. And that's really what I learned from, from my late wife, Angela, was, was her first response was a, was a response of trust. 
hmm. was a response of turning to God. You know, and, and whenever she would get overwhelmed by her diagnosis or her setbacks, uh, it was always when she wasn't locked eyes with Jesus. But as soon as she turned back to him, as soon as she looked at his eyes, it changed. You know, so from a spiritual sense, I think we got to lock eyes with him. We got to, and, and that's through mass, through scripture, through confession, through all those those areas. You know, like um, I remember when we were we were out of work, we, were, we had moved to North Carolina or to to Atlanta actually for a job, and the job fell through. I was there for a week and found out they no longer had the funding for the position, and um, we were pretty much in dire straits. I mean, I you know I delivered pizzas for a couple of months. I I did odd jobs on on. Craigslist, all these things just to stay alive, you know, and what, you know, what we did, we went to mass twice a day for like three weeks. <laughs> there was a parish that had masses three times. We'd go in the morning and then by the evening, if we were feeling despair, we'd go back to mass, you know, wow. um, you got to do those things and, and just get in his presence. Even if you don't know what to say or do lock eyes with Jesus. Yeah. It seems to me a lot of times in my own life and talking to people when we're dealing with adversity we're suffering, we're going through a bad time. One of the hardest things to do is actually uh, lock eyes with Jesus. A lot of times we want to fill our life with distractions and other things. And you're saying that uh, during those times, the most important thing we can do is is actually lean in hard to Jesus, to our right. faith. Now, when, when you looked at that in your own life, what does that mean? You're talking about going to Mass and, and praying and the sacraments, but but realistically, like, you know, what's that look like for us? You know, I, it, 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 that's the thing that's so hard is it's different for everyone. But I, I would say it's as, it's as simple as just just speaking out loud to him. Even if what you have to say is not good, God can take it. You know, <laughs> he was crucified for, you know, for goodness sake. So he can take the whatever we have to give him if we are, if we are overwhelmed or, or in despair or don't trust him or whatever it is. I, I honestly think for some for sometimes it's as simple as just saying like, "Hey Lord, what the heck?" You know, I remember when Angela was uh, diagnosed about a week later, and here she was having all this faith, and I was just feeling so overwhelmed and like, "There's no way I can do. I can't care for her, care for our kids, work. You know, what we can't afford this." I was just everything was was weighing on me. And I remember yelling at God, "Why the heck did you think we could handle this? You were wrong. Why the heck did you think we could handle this?" And you know, I went into, I felt better a little bit later. You know, I was really in despair, but I, I prayed a little bit. I felt better, but I was still like just so angry in that moment. And the next morning I was driving Angela to a treatment and she said, you know, I've been thinking about why God's allowing this to happen. And I think that he's allowing this so he can purify me. And I was like, I just asked God, why did you think we could handle this? <laughs> you know? Wow. And so I thought, I don't think it, you know, I think that's what's so hard is we think we have to do all these, these things, but it's sometimes just so simple, Paul, like yeah. just, just speak to God. Yeah. And I think just a lot of times him. we're, we're afraid to be honest with God. We're afraid to be transparent and authentic with God. And to me, I think there's no other person that we should be completely vulnerable and transparent with than God. So if, if right. you feel like you're praying an imperfect prayer or a prayer that, that maybe even has words that you, that you feel like you can't even say to God, those are the, the things that you should be saying to God. You should be right. emptying your mind and your heart, everything that you're feeling and thinking to God, and leaning in hard, because there are times in our lives where we're going through a situation where we don't have an answer. And we can't, we literally can't make it happen. So, so we're left in this posture that 
the, I think the two, the, the, the two most powerful words that we can ever say in our life are, I surrender. And that's what you're saying, right. is that in those moments, yeah. it's like, Lord, I surrender, I give you everything. And in that, God can take what little we have and move us forward. Exactly. And the answer, and we have to, you know, sometimes we have to wait for the answer. Because like I said, it doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily going to whisper it in your ear in a literal sense. But that answer came through someone else. That came through Angela telling me what God was saying to her, and that answered my question, you know? And God will do that, but we have to be patient. We have to wait as much as we can, and yeah, just be honest with Him. You know, I have a friend who told me, you know, he's gone to confession before, to confess his frustration with God, you know? And said, I am so mad at God right now, you know? So maybe if we're worried about offending God, maybe that's where we take it, you know? So we, yeah. the priest can help us stay out of blasphemy, right? Yeah. And and also absolve us of that, to be able to say, Father, I am so angry, I cannot believe God has allowed this to happen. Whatever it is, you know, but also the other thing I would say, a practical, and I don't know how much time we have left, but just a practical one, Paul, and I, and I know how hard this is, because when I go through a really difficult time, we're going through something difficult right now in our personal lives, and um, there are, it's so easy to, to A, escape into um, chaos or noise, right? So, so we, we, sometimes we go and be around people, but it's not real true community. It's, it's, um, it's just kind of like being in the noise, right? We go, go out with friends or whatever, but we're not being honest. Yeah. We need to, we need to not be isolated though. So we, we've got to be able to share this. So if it's one or two people, what I'm going through right now, I call two of my best friends who, who, and you know them, Nick and Marco. And I said, Hey guys, I need it. I need to go out. We need it. I need a couple hours. Like, so they don't even know what I'm going to talk to them about, you know? But I need that community, and we're not going to talk about it for two hours. I'm going to tell them what I'm going through, and then we're going to talk about football. Right. You know, But that, that kind of uh, community we need in those difficult times. Uh, and so we've got to find those people. I know the hard part is sometimes it's hard to find someone to trust, right. especially if you're going through something in your family. You know, So that's really important. Lean into God, lock eyes with Jesus, and just find yourself community, people you can be honest with about what's going on. And listen, they might have a... Like you said, you know, you, you're maybe waiting for that answer from God. Maybe something they say is that reminder, like, hey, there is a way forward here, you know, um, that you need to hear because they have a different lens. Yeah, I love how you connected that, you know, for our, the, our last segment with you was about community. And I think it's important that our vulnerability and honest, honesty with God and really leaning in hard uh, in our life every day, and particularly in moments where we don't have answers and we need to surrender— and the second part of that is we need community. We need people in our life, friends who can carry us in times where we we feel like we can't carry ourselves or we can't carry the load that we're carrying. And my encouragement to everyone who's listening is to listen to your words today, Chris, is, is uh, lean in hard to Jesus, be authentic and honest with him, and, and then surround yourself with people who can carry you through. Chris, thanks so much for coming on today. You can find him at Faticus on Twitter and solidarityhealthshare.org. Bro, you're awesome. We'll have you back on. Can't wait. Great, great talking to you, Paul. Thank you. All right, man. Talk to you later. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity Healthcare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity Healthshare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org.
www.ohio.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Right here, right here, right here, right staring now, staring at Adam, who's been quiet in the corner over there. Yeah, in my corner. Yeah, the Adam corner. Yeah, with the dunce hat, quiet. But I but don't have a hat. Now you're back. You don't give me a hat. Welcome. It's good to be here. That was a great interview. Yeah, Chris. I mean, pretty moving stuff. As a husband, as a dad. I mean, my goodness. I, I just love hearing his testimony and uh, yeah. Yeah, his story, uh, his testimony about his his late wife Angela, their family. You know, he's remarried and and how God has has moved him into new life and through the suffering. I don't know. It's a fascinating conversation. I always have good questions for for Chris. So, anyway, great to have him on today. So, so what'd you learn on the show? Well, today? I learned that I need to sell my work jeans. Normally, I give away clothes, and I don't give away work jeans because I figure they're dirty and nobody wants them. Mm-hmm. But I'll give away my cleaner stuff, but sell my work jeans. Sell your dirty stuff. <clears throat> yeah. 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 No, that's a good... Maybe retire off of that. I don't know. Yeah. I learned to take that to maybe more of a, a deeper reality. As I learned... I was reminded today that work has meaning. It has purpose. And this is why I was bothered by the dirty jean movement. <laughs> The dirty jean movement. The dirty jean movement. So, and I learned that, uh, you know, in times of of trial and suffering, leaning into Jesus sometimes is maybe the only thing that we can do, but the most important thing to do. Mm. Mm. So profound, Paul. Profoundly. <laughs> anyway, how about that six-pack of questions? Question. Question. Number one. So I love this prayer when his wife was sick and <clears throat> they wanted to try treatments that insurance wouldn't cover. He he prayed to God um, for $10,000 specifically, mm-hmm. and he got it. And have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever asked for something so specific and out the box from God, and then he shows up and does it? It's like a desperate heave prayer. It's like a Hail mm-hmm. Mary prayer. Yeah. And sometimes it's the only prayer we have. It, you know, is a prayer of desperation, a prayer of, I don't know what else to say or do. This is what we need. This is what I need. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever, you know, experienced maybe the uh, certain amount like that, but there have been times in our life where we've prayed and God has literally provided exactly what we've needed um, at the right time, the right place. And there's certainly those moments where you're like, you know, thank you, Lord, you know, mm. for coming through, even though it was the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> the last minute. The last minute. But he likes to do that, right? To stretch us to that last minute. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Question number two. So he mentioned the communion of saints and how he found this very moving in his life. Paul, who are your top three saint BFFs? Boom. Never asked you that before. Good question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... There was a season of our life where my wife and I were discerning something pretty specific and pretty serious, a move, a change, a transition. And we were completely like, ah, you know, we weren't sure. And a spiritual director I was talking to actually gave me a suggestion, and this answers your question in a long way, but he said, uh, in your discernment, make a list of a community of saints that can intercede for you at the same time. 
I was like, what? You can do that? <laughs> now, I knew you could pray to saints, obviously, and that you could ask for intercession. So it wasn't like, uh, it was like this the- theological shift that I was like, I, d- I didn't know. But I had never thought about asking a, a certain group or community to actually intercede with you and pray with you. So wow. in that, we came up with a list, <gasps> actually. That's cool. I can't remember the whole list, but I can tell you a few that were on it. All right. St. Peter and St. Paul, boom. Okay, why? I could see St. Paul, but why St. Peter? Um, uh, just because uh, I could relate to him in Scripture. Okay. Okay, so, so, you know, like his faith, his fear, his... Said a bunch of dumb things. Yeah, that too. <clears throat> um, okay, John Paul II. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. See where I'm going with this? <laughs> um, Mother Teresa. Okay, so I had two contemporary saints. Okay. Two scriptural saints. Very and thorough. Then, um, St. Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, okay, why? Uh, Gretchen has a great devotion to her, and, and I think that she is... Just she's like the solid. Catholic Xena warrior princess. Exactly. Like she's incredible. Incredible. We'll probably yeah. never have someone like her again. Maybe not. But, Amazing. But maybe. But maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can remember those five for sure. That's awesome. And it was all from that one experience of, of discerning that important decision. Yeah. And we've kind of kept that sort of uh, th- th- that that idea that mm-hmm. here's our sort of our community of saints that we continue to ask to intercede and pray for us. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, that's a little project for me and my wife when we get home. Booyah. Make a Paul George community. Question number three. So you mentioned hospitality in the conversation, which is a word that sometimes gets thrown around, but maybe not enough in the church. What is the place of hospitality in the church? It's everywhere. Hospitality shouldn't be a thing. It should be a way. Hospitality literally is the act of loving, the act of treating someone fairly and good. Um, and so it shouldn't be a thing that we do. It should be who we are. It's integrated in everything we do. So we, we should look at everything we do in the church through the lenses of how do I love? How do I meet people where they are? How do I smile? How do I interact? How do I engage? Uh, how do I make things better, easier, and more comfortable for people? Because in that is a way of showing the love of Christ. Hmm. Hospitality. Get me some of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Question number four. So you called him bro, <sighs> which is cool. Sometimes it sometimes it just comes out, man. I That's just, good. I no, for, I'm not trying to it. make you insecure. No, you are. It's wonderful. No, you are. It's 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 start for brother. Just want to clarify that for people yeah. listening. Or bro Smith. Bro Smith. Um, what is the highest ranking person? you've ever called bro, either highest ranking in the church or in the secular world, the the highest official. Do, do I have to actually answer this question? Yeah. Because <laughs> I actually have an answer. Yeah, give it. Okay, so I'm I'm writing a book. In this book, I share this story if, they, if the editor keeps it in there, but if they don't, I'll share it anyway. <laughs> I met a cardinal, Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez from Honduras, speaking yeah. at a conference to the youth. It was a big convention, and I... I got lost and I found the speaker hospitality room. Well, apparently it wasn't the speaker hospitality room I was supposed to be in. It's for all like the real speakers. I was like the youth speaker that wasn't supposed to even be in there. You're that like room. in the back closet. So the woman goes to, to tell me to leave, right? That was nice. I mean, really nice room full of really nice things. And as soon as I went to leave, because she told me to leave, because I couldn't be in there, embarrassing. <laughs> the cardinal, uh, 
taps me on the shoulder and looks at the woman. I didn't, I didn't know who he was and says he can stay. And he invited me to sit with him. Well, he was a colonel. He wow. is, is a colonel. Colonel Oscar Rodriguez from Honduras. Really, honestly, if you know anything about him, was on the short list for the last two papal elections. Wow. I didn't know that at the time. Oddly enough, I was going to Honduras six months after I met him. So we engaged in this conversation. Well, when he introduced himself, he says, hey, I'm Colonel Oscar Rodriguez. He told the woman I can stay. And uh, I looked at him and I said, hey, bro, I'm Paul. <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, yeah, I'm dead serious. <laughs> now, did he understand what was going on? It like, just came out. English it was well, this or? nervous reaction. Yeah, uh, like he was just like, what? I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's okay. Let's sit down and chat. You said, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. But it kind of broke the ice. Yeah. It kind of broke like the ice. Broke the ice? Broke. Bro. Yep. Get. Oh my gosh, that's an awesome story. So literally, the only cardinal I've ever... No, I've met two cardinals. But the first cardinal I ever met, I called bro. Within like a few seconds. Within like a few seconds. <laughs> an awesome story but i do have a way of like breaking the ice and like the elephant in the room just kind of like you know making people kind of oddly feel comfortable through through, <laughs> through odd, awkwardness awkward yeah exactly it's, it's a talent you have man thank you question number five so y'all talked about community a good bit what was your most what has been in your experience the most profound experience of community like looking back on your life oh that was the community chapter what's what's the community chapter of your life you know, I think every place uh, and every time, I think church is community. I mean, I think a church absent or vacant of community isn't fully church that's alive. And I've experienced that. A church that's not, a parish that's not. But one of the greatest senses of community was when I lived in Diocese of Home of Thibodeau, ran a nonprofit, Adore Ministries. And as a, as a small Catholic nonprofit, it really was a community effort of people kind of living and, and breathing and, and supporting one another, supporting the ministry to do the work of evangelization in the diocese. And it really was a community effort. I can never say uh, that that it, it was just an experience of true community and love that, that I'll always remember and desire. Wow. Yeah. All right, so that makes a lot of our listeners want more community, which is kind of the, the theme of being a Catholic today. I want more community. Start it. So what would you say would be the top do and don't for more community? That's your like new question. You like I love that? do and don't. Do and don't. Well, the first do is just do community. Like, And maybe on one of the shows we can talk about how to, how to do that. But like, don't sit around and wait for someone or something else or the church. Like, like you desire community and a Bible study or a hangout and, a, you know, just do it. Get with people and just start it. The don't would be don't not do it. <laughs> don't not do it. Like just take action. Th that would be my first do and don't. I mean, to answer your question. Do and don't wait. Yeah, do and don't wait. Do and don't wait. Wow. I mean, your your command of the English language was don't just on full display. buy brand new dirty clothes for goodness sakes alive. Just don't do it. Don't be that person. <laughs> That'll ruin your community. It'll ruin your community. Anyway, it's the Paul George Show. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on the airwaves and on the internet. Share the show. Be a part of it. Really appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week. God bless.